Good morning, church. Our reading for this morning will be from Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7 to 9, and chapter 3, verse 9 to 10. The Bible says, Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be fool and deny you, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal, and profane the name of my God. Honor the Lord with your worth, and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your bands will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right, good morning. It's, uh, it's great to see you all here this morning. Uh, my name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Tucson. It's great to have you all here uh, with us this morning. If you're new or you've never heard me preach before, I just want to give you all a, a heads up. I have a stutter, and it'll kind of come in and out as, uh, as we go. It's not the frigid temperatures that we've had. I know it's supposed to be in the 90s today, but someone pointed out from Portland, we have like a 50-degree swing here, which not a lot of places can boast. It's also not uh, the rage that I've been uh, dealing with over uh, some sports teams that I tend to love and really pour my heart into and how some things. I saw some people wearing some ungodly, ugly shirts and hats this morning, but we won't, we won't get into that too much. Um, we'll, uh, but we could talk out in the parking lot if you want, if you know what I mean. No. Um, Okay, I digress. Let's get into it. Um, we're actually going to get into our time here pretty quickly in Proverbs um, uh, chapter 30 and verse and chapter 3. So if you want to go ahead and turn with me, um, that'd be great. And uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, would you hold your hand up high and keep it up and somebody will uh, get you one. Y, um, en español, si quieres la Biblia y no tienes, por favor levante su mano y diga español. Y si no tienes una Biblia, uh, eso es un regalo a usted. Y esta mañana estamos en Proverbios, capítulo uh, 30 y capítulo 3. So again, we're in um, Proverbs chapter 30 and chapter 3, and want to make sure everyone has a Bible they can keep and, and read and understand and make their own. So if you don't own one, please keep this, okay? We want to make sure everyone has uh, a copy of God's Word. Uh, to be transformed by and shaped by. And also, I'll just kind of say, while it's um, a number of our kind of people who are normally here week in and week out are not here, kind of go up to Phoenix or go elsewhere for Thanksgiving, it's fun to have a number of other um, people here, just kind of some of you I've met again from Portland or um, other churches. In fact, met, met a friend here that uh, my wife and I um, were engaged and then married in and, and, and in heavily involved in Catalina Foothills Church and met um, one of the staff members, good friend there. And I, I know we have some others here from elsewhere. So again, just great to have you here as we talked about earlier, we love being a part of uh, God's work of building his kingdom uh, here in Tucson. So honored to get to partner alongside so, so many others. So um, let's go ahead and pray and, and get into our time in Proverbs together. Again, Heavenly Father, um, even after just hearing this All of Life interview this morning, we're all the more cognizant of the realities of, of parenting and, and of what it means to call you Father and um, even perhaps some, some aspects of your character and of our relationship with you that we overlook 
sometimes. And so, um, yeah, just thank you for that even new insight into um, or what it looks like, your uh, tender care toward us um, in our in our ingratitude and um, our own t- temper tantrums and whatnot. Um, thank you that we get to come before you um, because of the person and work of Jesus. And so as we uh, wrap up this series this morning in Proverbs and we talk about contentment, uh, amidst uh, a world um, saturated in consumerism. Um, I, like as was the case last week, I can't help but to, to think, Lord, this is a very pointed and timely word for us. And so I, we trust and pray that the Holy Spirit will oversee our time here through your scriptures, that we will be uh, informed and transformed um, by the hearing of your word. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, we're going to wrap up our series that we've been in for the last two months in Proverbs. And and the overall title we've been in in Proverbs is Wisdom in Dizzying Times. And we've talked about all kinds of different subjects um, about, you know, whether it's sexuality or guarding and protecting our hearts and and, um, the words that we say. And, And last week we talked about poverty and all these things and and the way and God has given us this book of Proverbs to show us this is what it means to be my people. This is what it means to be um, to be defined and formed and shaped and sent out uh, as God's people responding to his good news in the midst of disorienting and even dizzying times. And so again we wrap up our time in this book in in Proverbs today talking about contentment in a world of consumption. And uh, this, again, just very appropriate. In fact, let me just kind of get us started here. A quote I read from St. Augustine in um, his Confessions is this. He says, Not everything we long for is worth having, and the mature person knows the difference. So I actually, you know, in an effort to love my neighbor well, I walked around on Good Friday just kind of saying that to different people, you know, in lines, just hey, you know, you don't need everything that you want, and uh, mature people know the day difference. All right, have a good day, and just move. No, I didn't do that, um, but, uh, it, you know, we obviously, I don't need to, need to spend too much effort really pressing into the reality of how close to home this hits, right? Consumption, our, 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 our propensity, our desire, sometimes again, welling up from deep within to have more, and I just confess, this has been the case almost every sermon throughout this series in Proverbs. I've just been like, man, God, really? You want me to, to preach through this right now? It just felt like I've been getting hit in the gut every time of just with my own sin and my own need to, to repent and to be shaped and informed and transformed by the person and work of Jesus as these things have just been just in my face. And so as I looked at this and really pressed into consumption, is it all bad? Is, is just consuming bad in general? There's an, a really good article that I, I read that, um, that, that I, wanna, I want us to read that to kind of inform our time here as we get into it. It's by uh, an author. He works at a seminary. His name's Rodney Clapp. And the, and the, um, and the article is, Why the Devil Takes v- v- Visa. And then the kind of subtitle is, A Christian Response to the Triumph of Consumerism. And so here's what he says in the, in the opening of that. Every person under the sun must eat to live. And in that sense, we are all blameless and glorious consumers, as at a feast lovingly prepared by a grandmother, right? Some of us just enjoyed this type of thing a couple of 
days ago. There's nothing wrong and very much right about consuming to live. What worries people is that we seem more and more focused, not on consuming to live, but on living to consume. The problem with consumption is the fact that it has become so all-consuming. Again, like, I, I, I have heard this said, and I believe wholeheartedly, and even as we enter into our time in Proverbs, that the primary idol, and I'll define that in a moment, the primary idol that we face in our day is consumerism, is, is, is that we shape our lives and our very identity, very core of who we are, we shape it around um, what we can take in, what, we can, what kind of goods and materials we can fill ourselves with, and experiences, because I know the kind of hipster crowd among us, the minimalist, if you will, that's like, I only have one outfit, and we all know that, and you know, and I ride a bike, and I don't, whatever, I, I you know, I'm all about minimalist stuff, but, but include experiences. Ex, ex, experiences in there, okay? Things that it's not just goods and kind of, you know, hoarding, but I think if we're honest with ourselves at our core that we're constantly consuming experiences, goods, different things that we think will make us happy, will satisfy us. And so an, an idol is not always a bad thing, okay? It's also not necessarily a little statue or image or something like that, and though that's what we often think of, but, but it's, it's taking anything and replacing God with it and orienting our lives, finding our identity and our purpose f- uh, around something other than God, our creator. And so that, that's idolatry, and, and the primary one in our day is consumerism is more, give me more. Once I have this, I'll be happy. If this is taken away, I can't fathom life. But man, if I get this, if I get that, then I'll be truly, truly happy. So again, is consuming all bad? How have we gone astray? Because God created us, hear me on this, God created us as consumers, right? As we just Read in the beginning, right? We read in Genesis chapter one and two, God, creator of everything, maker of heaven and earth, created us, formed us intimately um, with his own hands out of the clay and then breathed life into us so that the creator made us, the, the creatures, to be dependent upon him and to bear his image, to reflect him. That's what it means to be the imago Dei, the image bearers of God, that everything we do would, would reflect him so that we would be, again, in our very nature, consumers, right? Dependent upon him. That we would eat, right? He said, here, take and eat. He gave and he said, here, here, is, here is the world that I have made for you to thrive in, to consume, to enjoy, and to steward. And that all of it would be directly related to and connected to our relationship with him. Again, our dependence upon him. But sin entered into the world, historically called the fall, or perhaps even more appropriately, the rebellion, of, again, removing God, saying, God, okay, thanks, but no thanks. We don't want all these things to be dependent upon you. I want to just find my joy and kind of in all these things separate from you. I don't want to need you. I just want to take the things that you've given and replace you with them and just consume and enjoy and find my I." 
identity and my purpose and my happiness and all these things. And so now we found ourselves consuming and living to consume and not loving our neighbor well, but in turn seeing our neighbor as someone who either is in the way of something that we want or can be manipulated in order to give us the things that we want. And so we're stuck in this place of, 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 of needing more and more and more to make us happier. So, so keep that in the, in the backdrop here as we now enter into Proverbs 30 and we look at this of how's it working? How's it working out for us? Okay, again, I'm, I don't need to spend too much time thinking about the news that we've seen, thinking about all the things that happened on Black Friday or whatever it is, but just w- w- however and wherever this hits you personally, wh- what is, how's that working looking for happiness through consumption. With that, we enter into Proverbs 30, verse 7, where the author says, two things I ask of you, and deny them not to me before I die. He's asking this of God. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Okay, so he asks a couple of things here. First, he asks for honesty, right? A really good thing. God, let me not, be, not, not live a lie. Let me not be false. Let me not, let me not wear a mask. Let me not say one thing out of this side of my mouth and then say something else out of the other side of my mouth. Let me not be a hypocrite. Let me be true and let me be honest. And then also connected with that, God, let me grow to be satisfied in you. Let me, let me not be too wealthy and be consumed with more and more and more and, and, and fall into that trap. And, and on the other hand, let me not become so poor that I in turn become obsessed with consuming from that other side of the coin and, and, and in turn also steal and turn away from you. I can just say, and I, we have some folks in here, I grew up in more of a poor context, more of a poor environment, and consumerism can be just as present in that context, okay? That the wealthy and the poor alike can be uh, in, obsessed with what we have and what we don't have and what we need and what we think we need and what if we just had this will satisfy us more. There's a reason, and very unjustly and unhealthily, that a lot of uh, predatory lending and pawn shops and things like that are typically in the poorer neighborhoods. Okay, and, and, and we, we talked about, you know, lo- loving our neighbor, loving the poor well and understanding how much we have to learn from the poor and all these things last week. But, but we can also now say that, yes, there's, there's an outside oppression that leads to these things being there in poorer communities, but it's also tapping into an idolatry that's already there. Amen. Okay, that there's, there's, this, there's this, 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 this desire for more within all of us because of our sin, because of our rebellion, because of our turning away from God. And, and then there's a reason why pawn shops look so appealing. Well, oh, if I just do this, then I can get, then I can have this. And I remember it's a ton of stories from growing up of this, this feast or famine mentality. This, this kind of starvation to gluttony dichotomy that we just go right in and out of. And so there's this idea here, and what the author here in Proverbs 30 is really hitting on is, Lord, let me be satisfied with the seemingly mundane. 
hey, of understanding that God has created us again when you look in Genesis 1 and 2 and you see the, the, the whole rhythm of following him in this, in, this, in this weekly Sabbath and remembering that God is God and we are not and that we depend on him and then going through a routine that's seemingly mundane. And again, we're, and I'm going to talk about this more, but guys, we under, hear me, okay, right now, we are absolutely bombarded with, with, with an outside message that we should be discontent, that we are, we are unfulfilled, that we are lacking, and that we need more, and so that things like seemingly mundane are, are no longer, you know, good. Okay, Th- like just for example, um, a number of things, pornography, and there's all kinds of things connected with this, why the marriages um, are floundering and struggling in their, in, their, in their intimacy, which is directly connected to this, this uh, just inundation with, with, with pornographic images and experiences and things that are not the way God designed them to be. And similarly, we, we consume all these other things, and we, we have social media and our phones, and we're so much dependent on instant gratification that like slowing down actually having a conversation with our spouse or with our family can seem like monotonous and boring okay i I was thinking about the lord willing the hundreds or even thousands of seemingly boring uneventful dinner times we'll have around our table now some of you know we have triplets and a a fourth child, and so it's probably not that boring or mundane to the outside, you know, look. Um, but, but there are. I was even thinking about last night. Like, we were just, we were eating leftovers, and like half our kids didn't like it, and were completely ungrateful, and, you know, and it was uh, just, I, it was not fun. It was, and we had a conversation. We walked through that, and, and again, because in preparation for this, I was thinking through how many of these we'll have over the years, unmemorable. In fact, we even use this metaphor often as we think through church in the fact that God has given us the corporate gathering Sunday morning where we come together and we walk through the story of God, right? We have the call to worship and then the passing of the peace and the, and the confession of sin and the assurance of grace and the, and the corporate scripture reading and then the hearing of God's word and the good news of the g- g- gospel and then the response and the weekly coming together and taking of communion and then the response of singing and giving and prayer and then we have the benediction the sending out of God's people in response to the good news of Jesus some of you didn't know that's what we do every week we walk through that same liturgical order that word just means what um, a group of people do when they gather together. We do that week in and week out, right? Like a do 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 do, just like a little, you know. We just keep it going, and it and and sometimes we get this again, this kind of the discontent. Oh, I'm looking for something new, something edgy, something different. And yet, in God's goodness, He's given us these rhythms to form us and to shape us. And 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 again, uh, we get to see that. I want to encourage you, parents or, you know, couples, families, whomever it is, these, these rhythms that can seem boring or mundane can be so good. And it's pressing into, even here, even using this language, fighting against a consumeristic idolatry that we have all latched onto and are being just inundated with, bombarded with from outside. There's a, a, another um, 
idea here that, that came to mind that, that I want us to read again to just help further understand the, the bombardment that we face kind of from the outside. Again, of this growing discontent. Read this quote that I read from Time Magazine. Instagram is the worst social media network for mental health and well-being. And this isn't just an opinion, okay? There was a study, you can see there the hashtag, which even in itself is kind of funny that this study is, has a hashtag. But, um, okay, so it's called the status of mind, and this was done in London, England. You see there are 1,500 teens and young people over the course of a year. And so here's what it says. According to a recent study of almost 1,500 teens and young adults, while the photo-based platform got points, so there's a whole different structure of points given or taken away, while the photo-based platform got points for self-expression and self-identity, it was also associated with high levels of anxiety, depression, bullying, and FOMO, or for the, you know, older, less woke folks among us, the fear of missing out. Okay, so FOMO. Now some of you guys know what the kids these days are saying. Um, okay, the fear of me missing out. But this is so true. I mean, you, you search through, you're, 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 we're getting like carpal tunnel because we're just, you know, going through looking for things and looking for, wow, who am I better than and who do I need to live up to? And this is a reality. Again, this is a, this is a, 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 a psychology, um, uh, psychological study done by a university to find the effect of social media, all different platforms on the people that are consuming or walking through these things. Now, is it all bad? Some of you guys know, again, you're like, you got the hypo hypocrite button, like our church has, you know, Instagram account and Facebook and Twitter and all these different things. And we, you know, and, and I don't do any of it. And those who do, do, do it, do it really well. And it's a really good. And, and is it all bad? Absolutely not. Is it completely dangerous and evil and should we go hide in a hole somewhere and talk about not using any of these platforms no absolutely not but for the, like right now should we be honest and, and say are, are there potential dangers absolutely uh, and and in fact too often than not are these dangerous things that i've grown numb to and then again because we're swimming in in culturally idolatrous waters that we are blind to. Okay, let, let's be honest. Okay, we look back from our place right now and we look back on, you know, Egypt and the Israelites and the idolatry of that day and we talk about, we kind of have this, you know, historical arrogance and we say, how foolish, you know. They had little, they thought those, the, the frog God could protect them and so God had to send a plague of all these frogs to show that he was greater than the God of frogs and, and we're like, how foolish. And yet in their kind of agrarian society, you saw that all these different things that they depended on for their way of life, that they thought, oh, well, maybe if we worship this God, maybe if we join in the idol worship of our surrounding culture in our day, then God will, or not God, then maybe God's way is not enough. And if we join in this kind of idol worship going on there, then maybe we'll keep up with our neighbors. Maybe our crops will provide just as much as theirs do because they're kind of offering sacrifices to these idols. And if we do the same, maybe we'll keep up with our, our neighbors. Maybe I'll be just as satisfied as that person if I 
give in to their idol worship the same way they are. Maybe God's designed for how life ought to look and what contentment looks like. Maybe it's not enough. Maybe I need to participate in this other idol worship. Okay, so let's be honest. If we are absolutely swimming, maybe even drowning in the idolatrous waters of consumerism, and, it's, and it, is, it is coming at us full force. So what do we do with that? What kind of grid do we look through, right? We need a grid, because is it all bad? Is, is social media evil? No. Like, if you're on it right now, yes. But, you know, <laughs> but no, you know, is it? No. Like, so how do we, what do we do? How do we walk through that grid? Even that, I don't know. Maybe you're, like, tweeting out something I said or something maybe more importantly that God's word said and you know and that's good that's fine go ahead if you're doing that you know hashtag whatever you know hit me up on it tag me at Dave Goff no um but 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 seriously how do we navigate how do we discern between like what's good what's bad what do I let's look at it at Proverbs 3 again and see just in a, what it looks like in this same book here, how do we navigate these things? Look at the first word there in verse 9. And now remember, just for those of us here, that remember that the way Proverbs was written, um, I don't know if I'm answering some potential critic that isn't actually there, but um, this is not like the way Proverbs was written is it's a series of comparisons and contrasting um, observances with an invitation to consider and contemplate. Okay, so that's the way Proverbs was written, so that's why we're jumping around chapter, chapter, chapter. It's not written like, like, a, like other books of the Bible, which we'll spend the whole next year in Ephesians. So just so you know, this is why we're walking through it the way we are. Um, maybe I'm just my own idol there at, uh, of kind of people-pleasing and I'm um, trying to answer these things. But anyway, and also so we all know how to read God's Word is given to us in different genres and things like that. And so Proverbs was given for us to read and consider and kind of lay bare before, if you will, okay, and to evaluate ourselves before. And so looking back at Proverbs 3 in verse 9, the first word there, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. That first word, that grid through which we look and evaluate, God, what do I do with this? Is it, should I feel guilty or ashamed right now? We talked about the lo- loving the poor last week. And now this week we're talking about consumerism. What's the action point here? Just walk out of here feeling guilty and with your head slumped and your shoulders down and like, oh man, I don't want to, you know, like I'm kind of embarrassed to, you know, to have anyone over for dinner or I don't want to, you know, no, absolutely not. And hopefully we even talked about last week the action points and the examples of, uh, but, but the idea here, the grid is honor, right? Jesus was asked, what is, what, are the, what is the greatest commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Wherever you are, all of us, right? Again, we even talked about this last week. We all are, are rich in different ways, whether it's resources, finances, relationship, health, different things like that. I've, I'm completely inept at, at fixing anything. I mean, you name it, I cannot do it. Um, if it involves any kind of 
tool or anything like that. And I can think of how often there have been times where someone else is incredibly wealthy in that, in that sense. And they said, oh yeah, my dad taught me how to do this and his dad taught him how to do it. And, and, and now let me help you and show you. And, and then after a while, he's like, never mind, I'll just do it. I'm not even going to teach you. But, but right, we can all think of different ways or there are, are people, right? The whole, um, the whole Christmas Carol story, right? Ebenezer Scrooge is, is financially wealthy, but is relationally impoverished, right? And that's how the angels, or, you know, in our perspective, right, God reveals himself and reveals his brokenness when he gets a peek into the, the wealth, relational, familial wealth of Tiny Tim's f- family. I forget all their names. I just remember Tiny Tim probably says something about me, right? Always, always cheering for, for the short guy, but... But you see this, this, we all have, right, a sense of poverty and wealth. And so what do we do with it? What do we do with what God has entrusted to us? We honor him with it. And just to press in and speak into there in verse 10, in case anyone's looking for the prosperity gospel, right? It's like, oh, see, it says there, if I do this, then I'll be, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be platinum. I'll be loaded, right? We don't have, most of us don't have barns and vats that we're looking to fill up, right? But it's this idea of like, oh, then I'll have everything I want. But again, looking through the lens that God's, from the very beginning, when God created, his plan was blessed to be a blessing. Given his image, bestowed the very image of God so that we could steward the creation mandate, so we could be fruitful and multiply and care for all of his creation. And then Israel, when God focused in and called a people, it was so that they would be a light to the nations, a fulfillment of the promise in Genesis chapter 12 that they would be a blessing through whom the entire world would be blessed. And then, of course, Jesus coming and fulfilling what we could never do, what Israel failed to do. Jesus coming and establishing one name through whom the entire world would be blessed, through his perfect life, ushering in the very kingdom of God, loving his neighbor perfectly, using his wealth perfectly, using his relationship and his influence counterintuitively and perfectly, ultimately sacrificially, laying down on the cross and then victoriously raising from the dead, we get a picture of what it looks like when we look to Jesus to be content in a world of consumption. Wherever he was, though he says the Son of Man had nowhere to even lay his own head, and yet you see him constantly looking through the grid of submitting to the Father's will and loving others self-sacrificially with all that he has. So let's look at one more passage to understand a grid of what this looks like from the New Testament. What does this look like for you and me? What does it look like to be content in a world of consumption? From 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses uh, 6 through 10. Read with me here, again, looking through this grid, asking God, God, how's it working out trying to find contentment apart from him? How does it, how's it working out for us trying to thrive in a world that is saturated with consumerism and us joining in that and trying to say, God, thanks, but no thanks. I want to turn from you and find my identity and my purpose and my joy elsewhere. Okay, with that in mind, now read with me. 1 Timothy chapter 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, 
into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. There is a very real warning there, right, that says wealth, listen, if you're asking for a raise, you're asking for more responsibility to steward God's gifts and God's resources and to have more kingdom responsibility. Okay, that's just, that's just real. Okay, if you're looking to get a new job that pays more, that has more, if you're looking for more resources, understand that fundamentally connected with that is asking the very God to whom all things belong, God, would you give me more of your resources so that I might steward them more appropriately in this world, in this world of of consumerism, in this world of need, in this world of poverty, God, would you, would you entrust more to me and then through your Holy Spirit empower me to, to use it well, to honor you and to love others? Again, not bad in and of itself. In fact, very good. Just, just one thing that again came to mind as I was thinking about this and just because I want to encourage some of us with this fact that how did Jesus raise from the dead? Well, God raised him from the dead, right? Well, how did Jesus end up somewhere where he could be raised from the dead? A wealthy person came forward and said, hey, I have a tomb and I want Jesus's body to be laid in this tomb. Okay, not the vast majority of people in that day did not have tombs. Okay, Jesus's kind of slack-jawed yokel bunch of friends that he was hanging out with, most of them very poor, did not have tombs. So who was going to step forward? How was Jesus came? Most people in that day would be, would, be, um, would be put in just a pile of other dead bodies. Could God have figured it out in his sovereignty and his power? Absolutely. But what did he do? He used someone with wealth and influence, okay, to come forward and to use that for the advancement of God's glorious, perfect, eternal plan of Jesus raising from the dead victoriously, right? Bursting forth, we celebrate this on Easter. He rose from the dead and the tomb, right, was empty. Something we celebrate but perhaps even take for granted. That involved someone to whom much had been given, using that powerfully, generously, worshipfully for God's glory and others' good. Okay, so we see here there are, perfect, there are good examples of using what we have. And yet, acknowledge here that there is also a, a, a clear danger, right? He says, harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction, verse 9. Okay, there's, there's the, the, the word there is used, a snare, a trap. Let me just, again, we've got to see this, okay? Look at me, please. Do, do you understand that you are being absolutely bombarded, seduced, seductively with idolatrous allures every day? In fact, a most recent study done has said that, okay, think about this. How many, how many ads, how many seductive, alluring ads do you think you are exposed to every day? 3,500. The average American is exposed to 3,500 ads every single day. Well, 
I mean, that's insane, okay? Some of us probably more, some of us less. One, one guy actually said that he went away for a, a week and, um, to kind of a, a, a spiritual retreat center, and he was from Chicago. He said when he came back into town, and this is Chicago, okay? Not even New York or LA or I assume Phoenix um, or Tempe for sure, but right, much worse broken cities. But he, he um, no, okay, Chicago, right? Big city, whatever. He said he couldn't, but he, he got a headache. Okay, I, I have to get my jabs in somewhere, right? Because, um, but he, he couldn't believe how many ads there were everywhere. He'd been gone for a week and he came and just was like, oh my goodness, every billboard, every bus stop bench, everything on, on the phone, on the TV, on the radio, you name it, was something selling him something. My wife and I experienced this to about actually over 10 years ago. Wow, man, we're getting old, honey. Like 12 years ago, we got to go to East Asia, and we, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have computers, all these things at the time, and, and when we came home, we went right to um, the Irvine Spectrum, which whoever was in charge of our kind of debriefing, that was either a brilliant or terrible idea to take a bunch of people who had just spent a whole summer in kind of um, very poor East Asia and then to come back here and go to the Irvine Spectrum. But it was, it was like sensory overload. And it's not that that's any different from what we go through every day here. It's not like Irvine Spectrum is that much different from, you know, Tucson, Arizona. Is it different some? Yes. But that different? No. The fact is, we've just grown so accustomed to it, right? As someone once explained to me, it's like asking a fish to describe water, right? You, like, good luck, right? How are you going to do that? And similarly, again, it's us understanding we swim in such polluted, consumeristic, idolatrous waters that we don't even know what we're getting seduced by, what we're getting um, bombarded with. So what do we do with this? I think we pray for intentionality. We, we recognize and acknowledge, God, give me eyes to see. Give me ears to, to hear. As I'm watching TV, does it mean all of us should go out right now and throw out our TVs and throw our phones? Right now, everyone, just throw your phone. No, like, right, someone would get injured. It would not go well. Like, no, okay, we just do, we, 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 we try to shortcut and replace God and the need for his spirit in these decisions. No, it means we live in the tension, and yet we all the more desperately cling to God's grace and to the Holy Spirit whom he has given to lead us for how to be a prophetic witness, to how to be a good news people amidst a world that is just bombarded. Again, think of that, 3,500 things that are all saying you can't be that happy. Your life can't be that good because you don't have this. If you had it, then you'd be set. Oh, you have a bicycle that you got that your parents bought for you, but hipster, but if you had a fixed gear bike that looked really plain, but was actually really, really expensive, then you'd be, <laughs> then you'd be satisfied. Okay, I don't want to leave anyone out here right, or whatever, right, if, yo, you have a car that works really well, that has heated seats, and has air conditioning, this and that, but it's not the newest model, it's not, right, like, we all can see wherever this is, I will confess, things came bombarding into my mind, I have multiple jackets, and yet, that's kind of, I'm like, man, if I had this one jacket, then I'd be cooler, I don't know, what, you know, it's, and some of you are like, no, you wouldn't, so I've just kind of given up a long time ago, but, you know, it's just whatever it is, we've got what, these things, relationships, 
you know, whatever it is. As a church, right, we can think of how many different things. Oh, if we had this as a church, then we'd be really doing it. Then we'd be really, I don't know what it, what, I don't know what the goal is. I mean, even there, it seems ridiculous, right? But we have them. We have these idols. So what do we do with them? We recognize that it's more than likely not a direct affront. A, it's not a brutal, hostile takeover, but a seductive promise that will never, ever deliver. So a c- couple things as we close. What do we do with this? One, we be intentional. We, 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 we renew our minds as R- Romans Chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Again, we come before God week in and week out, not just because it's a religious, cultural phenomenon that we do. It's because we come and we acknowledge, God, there are things, there are idols that we have given ourselves to. There are things that we have worshipped other than you, and now we need to be reoriented and reshaped by you, our, our true and glorious and good God, the only one deserving all worship and honor and praise. We have taken good things that you have given, and we have replaced you with those things, or we've distorted them, and we've tried to take you out of the equation lord let us reorient them our family our workplace our hobbies our goods our resources our time our treasure our talents our health we come and we be reminded we're reoriented we we have ourselves transformed and renewed as our minds are formed and informed and reformed and transformed by the hearing of god's word and the good news of the gospel week in and week out And then something else, too, that, again, in our culture is very, very different is we live in community. Okay, we talk about this ad nauseum, perhaps, here as a church, but we constantly talk, like, this whole individualistic idea of, oh, it's just me and God and no one else. I don't really need anyone else. I've got this. Or, you know, what does it do? Or is is community just a buzzword that we throw around because it's hip and cool these days and authentic community, right? Organic. I don't know what, you know, this is what we're all about. It's No, it's because God has given us the very, God is a relational communal God. When Jesus is praying in John 17, he's praying for us as a people, communally, corporately, and 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 his appeal to God the Father is not just, God, let them figure it out together. He says, God, as we are one, let them also be one. Okay, as Jesus and the Father and the Spirit are one, in, within the Trinity, fully functioning, healthily, complementing, relating, submitting to, he now prays and says, let, let, let our people be one. Again, uh, another study that I read, there's a long quote that I just, I'm not going to read to you, but it, is, it essentially says this very jarring reality, hear me, that it says that Christians are less likely than the general population to talk about their finances and if at all, much less with other Christians. I don't know why. I don't know what's at the, at the, at the core of that. This was, again, simply a statistical study and just kind of presented this. But should we not come before one another and, and say, uh, not everyone, right? Not just on Facebook or whatever, but in 
trusted, healthy community, saying, I've been given this job opportunity, and I'm not sure because I have a whole bunch of things to consider, how I spend my time, how what my family gets, how I'm able to serve others, what I'll do with this money, what new responsibilities with I have, will I have. So often we, we make these decisions in like a, a vacuum, and then we come and just like plop them down and just say, hey, FYI, I decided to do this new thing with my life. And I just want to say pointedly and yet lovingly, that's foolish. That's unbiblical. And so in all these things, as we close out this series in Proverbs, right, we've looked at all kinds of different things, right? What it looks like to have character, what wisdom, true wisdom looks like, what it looks like to guard our hearts because from them flow the very springs of life, all of life. Everything we do flows out of our very hearts, out of who we are and what we do. And it's directly connected to our relationship with God. And again, as I talk about our sexuality, our finances, our our relationships, the words that come out of our mouth, the things we say, the things we do, all of this stuff, right? Pretty much every part of life is directly connected to our hearts, which have been formed, made by Almighty God, our Creator and then have been broken, distorted, marred by rebellion, by sin. And the answer is to look to Jesus, the very wisdom, right? Proverbs is wisdom of God, the very wisdom and power of God, as we're told in 1 Corinthians. We look to Jesus as our example, how he lived his life, and then we look to Jesus as our rock, because we're going to get it wrong Okay, but we lean on his grace, his undeserved favor, his already accomplished work that Jesus, through his life, death, resurrection, rule and reign and promised return, the fullness of the gospel, that that shapes us so that we don't have heads hung low, we're not ashamed or guilty or, or even confused. We say, God, here we are, send us. God, you are good, you're in control, we have rebelled, again, week in and week out, we have rebelled and yet we turn to you and we lean on your grace, reform us, reshape us, transform us and send us out again renewed as your people able to live all of life all for Jesus in every facet through the Holy Spirit whom he has sent so let's pray and consider how we individually and communally respond to this good news of Jesus the very wisdom and power of God in a confused disorienting world amen Yeah, again, Father, we come before you thankfully, Lord, gratefully, grateful for what we have. God, may we not have our heads hung low, ashamed or guilty or, Lord, but perhaps um, we come before you a bit more aware that it's, there's no sacred secular divide. There's no dichotomy of things you care about and things you don't care about. Lord, you have given to us, you have provided for us. And so, Lord, we do repent Even now, I pray that through your spirit, you would lead us, those of us and all of us who need to repent of ways we have replaced you with things you have given us to worship you. Lord, and also give us encouragement. Lord, give us creative minds. Lord, let us see even in this Christmas season how to creatively love and honor you and love our neighbors well through the things that you have given so generously provided to us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.